the Catholic Channel Sirius XM 129 presents Just Love with your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, Executive Director of Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of New York. Welcome to Just Love. Just do it. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. Each week we talk about what's going on in the world, and we talk about what's going on in the world from this perspective of our Catholic social teaching. We talk about it through the perspective of the dignity of the human person. How does what we're talking about impact the poor? What about families? Does it look out in a preferential way for those who are poor, whether they be in the United States? Or will they be throughout the world? And so, in a sense, <clears throat> the question is, what is the solidarity? Well, what is the call to solidarity that is imperative upon all of us as, as we might say, part of the global universe or <clears throat> part of all God's creation? And speaking about God's creation, one of the other things that we think about and is how does what we do impact the stewardship that is entrusted to humanity over God's creation? And quite frankly, a lot of that didn't receive a lot of attention until, you know, probably the past 20 years or so. Um, But now it is a very, very important part of how we look at the world, whether it be from the perspective of our Catholic values and teaching, or from whatever other types of approaches we take. There's barely a person these days who doesn't consider how something impacts the environment on how they do. Now, granted, there is a certain amount of of controversy and division on some of the topics related to the environment, but I don't think anybody can pretend that there is not a heightened awareness of the environment. So, um, Tom, how has your how has your week been? My week's been great, Monsignor. You know, uh, for those listeners in other parts of the country, New York has been uh, in. You know, we've been slowly but surely getting up into the seventies, which is a nice place, I think, for our weather to be. So, I'm very happy about that. And uh, and you know, I'm just enjoying the spring. I love. This time of year, Monsignor, when the flowers come out, uh, I love, and I know you live very close to Park Avenue, uh, and I know I love to walk up and down that area and see all the tulips blooming. It looks absolutely, it's like, uh, you know, it's not quite Holland, but it's not far off. Okay. Well, I mean, again, most of us know that we live in what used to be called New Amsterdam, so Ah. there is a strong connection with Holland and and things Dutch in New York. Um, <clears throat> so, Tom, I was uh, out last week at my family wedding. My godchild got married in um, San Diego. But <clears throat> what everybody out there was lamenting was the fact that the weather was so non-typical for Southern California. Mm. It was pretty much overcast a little bit very cloudy not a lot of rain but 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 you know enough overcast up and the temperatures were kind of 
you know, in the fifties. So they were. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so it wasn't, it wasn't sunny California as everybody <laughs> is kind of thinking about it. It was more or less, um, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, more or less, I want to say what we might think of as kind of London or Ireland, something, something wow. like that. Um, okay. And one of the interesting things is a couple of people flew out for the wedding from the Northeast and mm-hmm. they were leaving temperatures in the eighties and getting out there. And it was in the fifties. So, <laughs> you know, um, who can, who can figure. And, you know, exactly. I'm glad that a little bit later on in our show, we're going to speak in a little bit more about the environment with our second guest on the show. So I'm delighted that we're going to have an opportunity to, um, to uh to do that um i'm not sure here in new york the weather has been a little bit you know uncertain and as you say i think we're maybe moving into spring and moving into uh a little bit more of a seasonable seasonable time of time of year so um uh do you like the spring tom i do i do spring and autumn are my two favorite times of year i love the change of seasons and that's one of the things I love most about living where we live, because other places I know you go, right, sometimes, you know, you either have it's always cold or it's always hot. I like the change. And um, and and it seems to me that recently we've gone from, you know, being very cold to being very hot. So I'm hoping we have a pretty prolonged spring of just nice, you know, sort of like light jacket weather to go out and enjoy and and not have to deal with the heat of the city and for, you know, for at least a little while. <laughs> All right. That's good. So um, <clears throat> we are in April being autism acceptance month. So we're going to talk uh, with our first guest in uh, just a moment. Uh, someone who's going to speak to us about kind of a very, very interesting event to raise awareness of autism and to raise that, uh, raise that up. Uh, so our first guest is Brian Lakata, who is a business consultant at Marvel Consults, but he is the coordinator of the Puzzle for Autism, which uh, apparently broke a record in the Guinness Book of Records. So I'm delighted that uh, Brian Lakata is with us. Brian, thank you for joining us on Just Love today. Uh, thank you for having me, Monsignor. Good. So um, give our listeners just a little bit of a background of, of yourself so they get to know a little bit of the person behind the voice on the radio. Sure. Uh, so my name is Brian Licata, uh, born in Brooklyn, raised in Staten Island, like many of us. Um, <clears throat> my uh, my family moved out here in 85. And you know, since then, we've been heavily involved in the islands. Uh, I have three children, uh, Patrick, Emily and James. Uh, all of them attend St. Patrick's School, uh, Richmond Road in Staten Island. Uh, we're also parishioners of the church, my wife, Amy, and myself, and our family. Uh, I'm the owner of Marvel Consults, which is a uh, business consulting firm. I work with uh, nonprofits and startup businesses to uh, help them get their business off the ground. And uh, I like to equate it to, uh, I'm kind of like the tune-up that a lot of uh, nonprofits need uh, throughout the year. Yeah. Great. That's a. I think that's a good way to to think about it. And Ryan, you now remind, reminded me when I was just driving my car the other day. I saw <laughs> that light come on, which says maintenance required. So yes. I guess I have to go in and get a tune up for my car. Um, you don't do that on the side, do you? You don't do. Uh, 
No, no, that that's one uh, one that I do not do. All right, all right. So I guess I'll have to go to the to the dealer to get that that tune up done. But thank you for giving us a little bit of that that background. Um, <clears throat> so um, autism uh, acceptance month is is April. Um, so you were involved in coordinating this puzzle for autism. Can you tell us a little bit about what that was about? So right around Thanksgiving, uh, the owner of the Staten Island Ferry Hawks, Eric Shuffler, uh, had reached out to a friend of mine, uh, Dan Ryan, at the Staten Island Media Group, and had said, you know, uh, I would really love to be able to do something for Autism Awareness Month. What's something that we can do that hasn't been done? Uh, and when they called, I had grabbed uh, Kathy Del Pieri from uh, the Grace Foundation of New York. And I said, a couple of years ago, you guys were planning this puzzle piece event, whatever happened. Uh, and, you know, many of us remember about three years ago, uh, we were all locked in our houses and we couldn't get outside. And they had actually had planned to do the puzzle event uh, during 2019 at Monsignor Farrell High School uh, on Staten Island. So. We had kind of uh, resurrected it and grabbed some nonprofits to see if uh, it was something that we could put back together. Okay. So um, now, did you have a particular interest um, in getting involved in this because it was autism? So I've been involved in nonprofits for, uh, I would tell you, probably 25 years. Um, so my background was specifically working with nonprofits. Uh, you know, I'm very fortunate. And I think because of that, uh, I like to give back. You know, my children, myself, we donate a lot of time uh, to different nonprofits on Staten Island. Uh, we volunteer. You know, uh, I like to give them a little bit of extra help. Uh, and, you know, particularly, um, I would say that this is just one of those things that touches my heart. Great. Great. So, okay. So <clears throat> tell us about it. What What is it? I mean, what did, I mean, we know all about puzzles, but sure. there's got to be something a little bit special about this puzzle. So autism, uh, you know, probably about 10 years ago, used to be something that they said affected like one in 66 or one in 68 people. Uh, right now, we're actually at about one in 38. Uh, and as part of bringing awareness, everyone's trying to figure out, well, what can we do besides just, you know, sending out flyers or having a walk? So the idea was, why don't we try something big? Uh, breaking a Guinness Book of World Record is, is something very large. So the idea was to get as many people as we needed, which was uh, 1,706 to be exact, together in the shape of a puzzle piece. Now, what we're talking about is inside part of one puzzle. So, you know, uh, a square that has side pieces and two button outside pieces. So what this looked like was... 2,436 people wedged into uh, about a 4,500 square foot puzzle piece that we had painted on the baseball diamond of the Staten Island Ferry Hawk Stadium. That we were all wearing matching uh, blue ponchos with hoodies on. Um, so when you look at this from the overhead shot, it actually looks like a complete puzzle piece, solid in shape and color. Um, the hardest part is actually just getting everybody to push in and fill in. But we, uh, you know, we made it look like it was a real pu uh, puzzle piece. And if we cut it out, um, it would be almost a perfect shape. 
So what's what's the difference between a puzzle piece and a, just a simple square? So the um, puzzle piece has to have the connectors on the outside. You have to have um, okay. two, two of the outer connectors and two of the inner connectors. Um, so think of a square. And on the bottom of the square, you would have an oval pushing in. On right. the left-hand side, you'd have another oval pushing in. On the top, you'd have one coming out. And on the right-hand side, okay. you'd have another one coming out. Okay. Yeah. And what made you, what made people thought, think that um, <laughs> a puzzle piece um, was a good way to raise, raise awareness? I mean, you could have done a flower. You could have done a lot of different things. Why a puzzle piece? The, the puzzle piece has been synonymous with autism for about the last 40 years. Okay. Um, you know, back in the 1960s or so, uh, it was one of the first things that was coined. Um, and when they weren't really sure what autism was, uh, they knew that there were children and young adults that um, had a disorder. Uh, and it was a puzzle to them what that disorder was. Um, and then from there, they had started to use the puzzle. Now, it, it's morphed a little bit. Um, there are some groups that it's not a puzzle to be solved, and that that's not what I mean. Um, and there are other groups that say that we are all individual puzzle pieces. Uh, and when you take all of those puzzle pieces and put them together, you have a beautiful picture. Um, I like to think it's more of that than there's something puzzling about them. Uh, and when you think about 2,400 people coming together, and forming a gigantic puzzle piece, it is really uh, a beautiful thing. So how big a square, how big a piece was it? So we were uh, on the inside of a baseball diamond. So uh, 90 by 90. Uh, I mean, you know, you're you're talking almost 8,000 square feet of a puzzle piece. Okay. Now, did you, were you one of the people in it? Um, I was one of the very last people to go in. My job was uh, ushering everybody in. So we had uh, about 70 nonprofits on the island. Uh, Catholic Charities from Staten Island was uh, one of the main proponents of this event. Uh, Claire had helped us get people there, uh, also financially backing us. Uh, We had Catholic Charities. Uh, We had uh, a number of local schools, Monsignor Farrell, St. Joseph by the Sea. Uh, We had nonprofits uh, like Eden 2 and the Grace Foundation, On Your Mark, um, a very special place, uh, Lifestyles for the Disabled. uh, And we had about uh, 20 different elementary schools. So it was really uh, large groups that had attended. In fact, uh, I I think probably the largest group we've seen coming down by the ferry um, in a very long time trying to get access to the stadium. Okay. So did you do it in the, in the minor league stadium right near the ferry? Yes. Uh, so the ferry Hawks had donated the stadium to us. Uh, we had blow up rides, we had uh, inflatables and activities. Um, and then right in the middle of the baseball diamond is where we formed that shape. Uh, and we were able to actually tap into the broadcast studio of the stadium and put it on the jumbotron so everybody could see it. So how'd you do? Did you, did you get some, some good, uh, awareness, publicity around it? Yes, I, I'd say that uh, in the last few days, our, our social media accounts have been um, just going off every couple seconds. Uh, we were on 8.80 a.m. Uh, uh, right after the game. Uh, we've been on Channel 7 and Channel 4, New York 1, um, 
you know, we've kind of just been talking to people about not only what we did, but why we did it and, and what's going to come in the future. So, so tell, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about that. Let me just for a moment, make sure our listeners know who we're talking to. Our very, very talented and interesting guest today is Brian Okada, who is the owner and business consultant with Marvel Consults. But today we're not speaking with him much about his business as his role as the coordinator of the Puzzle for Autism, which just so recently set a record in the book, uh, Guinness Book of World Records. Uh, so, Brian, OK, you you brought it up. So now I'm going to take you there. So what are you thinking about going forward in the future? So the idea was to kick off an event that could become an annual event. Okay. Um, you know, autism is something, like I said, uh, it affects so many people. So we want to bring more awareness every year to this. So we don't have a walk or anything like that on Staten Island uh, related to autism. So this is going to become an annual event. Um, I, I'm not 100% sure if every year we're going to break a different record. Uh, mm-hmm. I know that that was actually the school children that were there. Uh, we're asking on their way out what record we're going to break next year. Um, so I, I, I think that is going to be a component. Um, we want to grow in size and stature. We want to bring more awareness to the community, let them know, you know, uh, what it's like to go through life as someone who has autism or a family member. Um, you know, the biggest thing is that uh, not only were we able to bring awareness, we were able to uh, bring fundraising to some of those nonprofits that work with those children and need the funding. So I think next year we're, we're probably going to run another event located on the island. Um, it'll also be record breaking. Our goal is to you know, keep going bigger every year. Um, but at the same time, we want to make sure that everybody leaves uh, had a great time and felt how unified the community was. So, Brian, let me ask you the question. Since the goal was to raise awareness, do education around autism, how did that happen? I mean, I get the the fun idea of kind of seeing if you can't get as many people as possible set a world record but how did somebody who is aware of that how they learn about autism so we've seen the uh the 10 major nonprofits that were involved in the event that have uh, day habilitation community habilitation um, or even residential programs for those with autism uh, they've all seen uh, a gigantic uptick in uh, their website traffic and in their social media, where people are going online to their websites to learn more about the services that they offer. Um, We're also partnering uh, with running workshops for organizations related to this. Um, So some of the businesses that were present that day have now requested that um, groups involved uh, do workshops for their employees, almost an autism 101. um, And uh, for the workplace, working with employees that have autism. So, Brian, um, as somebody who participated in this, maybe was who knew, I imagine knew, you know, some things about autism, but not everything about autism. Was there something new that you learned that you kind of said, wow, in addition to help organizing this, gee, this is something that I knew I'm now better educated about autism. I'd say the last couple of months have very, uh, very much so been educational for me. Um, you know, not just with planning the event, but working with the individuals that have autism have really uh, started to show me what it's like 
Now, statistic-wise in numbers, I didn't know that autism was as pervasive on Staten Island or in New York City as it was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, knowing that it's it's one in thirty-eight right now, and they're predicting that uh, there's an average of a twelve percent increase every single year. Um, uh, that was something definitely eye-opening for me. I would tell you though that the um, the real thing that uh, I'm taking away from this is is more of a personal nature. So working hand in hand with a lot of these individuals, um, you know, we had them operating cameras, taking photos, taking videos. Um, I, I actually have a lot of young adults that are now sending me text messages. Uh, you know, created almost a new pipeline of uh, relationships. You know, and I think that. Um, that wasn't something that I was going for, um, but it was an offset that came out of this. And seeing seeing how talented some of those individuals were, I think that I went into this with some pre- uh, preconceived notions that have been expelled. So you mentioned that you, they're, they're predicting a 12% increase in autism. Did you learn why is that happening? What's going on sure. that is making that increase uh, predictable? So it's a combination of a few different factors. Um, you know, autism is still something that uh, knows it's a neurological disorder, but nobody knows why. Um, that that's the real big thing. What they're seeing is that um, for the longest time there was stigmatism, so people weren't getting their children diagnosed. They weren't taking them to doctors um, because of all of the awareness and the educational programs. A lot more people are willing uh, to get their children evaluated. Uh, the reporting of children with autism is up because the number of people being tested for autism is also up. Wow. Um, as far as red um, herring of why people have autism, it is still one of those great unsolved mysteries. Um, no one's sure. There's lots of rumors and things have changed over time. But uh, the one thing that they know is that um, if you get your child diagnosed, that get them diagnosed, more services that are available, because the more funding is available for those nonprofits that work with those people. So, so Brian, there's a phrase that I've been hearing more and more recently, which I'm not quite sure I understand what it means. And maybe in your kind of learning more over the past few months, you could educate me and our listeners a little bit on that. I hear that phrase on the spectrum. Yes. What Help me to understand that a little bit better. So I think this is one of the uh, hardest things to comprehend with autism. Um, Autism is not something that's so simple. Like if you go to the doctor and you fell and broke your arm, a break is a break. Right. Now there's different, there's different degrees to a break. There's hairline fractures, you know, and and there's complete breaks, but it's still broken. Um, autism isn't something that's like that. So the reason that they say someone is on the spectrum is because there's a wide range. Um, I've come to know many individuals that are on the spectrum. Um, some of them are verbal, some of them are nonverbal. Um, some of them are high functioning. Some of them are, are not high functioning. Um, and I think that is the, the real dilemma with being on the spectrum. There are many people who are on the autism spectrum, uh, and they lead very high-functioning lives. Um, at the same time, there are a lot of people that are on the spectrum and are nonverbal, or they have limited skills. A lot of times they have autism, but they also have 
another neurological disorder. Um, so you see that um, certain things go hand in hand. Duchenne's disease. There are a lot of children that have Duchenne's disease, um, MS, and also have autism. Um, so the, the phrase on the spectrum can mean a lot of things, uh, but it really refers to the wide variety of the degree to which they have autism. Okay. We're speaking with Brian Makata, who is the uh, owner of Marvel Consults, but we're speaking with him about his coordinating the puzzle for autism, which uh, is now in the Guinness Book of World's Records for them getting over 2,400 people together on a baseball field to form a piece of the puzzle. Um, Brian, since you've learned a lot with regard to this um, over the past few months, before I let you go, and you've been so generous with your time, um, is there something that you think our listeners would benefit from knowing about autism and how they might uh, be able to, you know, get involved if they wanted to. So, um, and, and thank you, Monsignor Sullivan, for having me today. This has been great. I, I think, you know, have changed over time. And, and the more understanding that we have, the, the better that we are. Um, the biggest thing that I can tell people is that every nonprofit needs volunteers. You know, every church and school needs volunteers. If there's a, a nonprofit in your neighborhood that works with children, young adults, or adults with um, autism syndrome spectrum, I would say that find out ways that you can volunteer and help. You know, if, uh, if you can't give monetarily, but you can give your time, your time is always appreciated. I, I think the other side is it that somebody who has autism is no different than any of us. Um, a lot of people try to treat them differently. Don't treat them any differently. Treat them like you would Sullivan, your children, or whoever else. Um, like the same things that we like. They want to participate in the same things that we want to participate in. Um, when you talk to them about how they feel or how they're made to feel, they have the same exact emotions that we have. And, you know, one of the things that, that I've noticed and I'm sure missing you over uh, your life, you've noticed this too, is sometimes they feel that they're, they're almost made to feel different. So they don't want to associate. Um, and, you know, I'm very proud to say that me and my family, we go to church every Sunday at St. Patrick's uh, on Staten Island. And there are individuals with autism that we see at church every Sunday because they feel so accepted there. Um, and the real goal is to make them feel accepted in every walk of life. Well, Brian Licata, thank you so much for your time and thank you so much for what you did to coordinate that great event. And I'm looking forward to hearing what's going to happen next year to continue raising awareness about autism and individuals who who have autism on the spectrum and how as a society we can be more welcoming to our neighbors who 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 have autism. So thank you for being with us. Thank you very much, Monsignor. Ryan Licata, the owner of Marvel Consults and the coordinator of the puzzle for autism on Staten Island. Um, Tom, I think we will take a break. We'll um, be back in a moment. Just love, just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself. And our world will be more just and more compassionate. 
We'll be back in just a moment on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. Just do it. Just love. Just check out Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, who's here right now. Take it away, Monsignor. Whoa. Oh, mercy, mercy me. Welcome back to Just Love. I'm Monsignor Kevin Sullivan. I'm here with Tom Dobbins, who... Um, gets us interesting guests each week. And um, we just say, just do it. Just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. Each week, we look at what's going on in the world and we view it through our Catholic social teaching. So just before the break, we were speaking with Brian Locata, who organized, was the coordinator for um, an interesting project where over 2,000 people got together and they formed a piece of a puzzle. So, you know, like with those little uh, things that jut out to connect to the other piece or the cutouts where another piece is connecting. So he organized that out on Staten Island with probably about 2,400 people because somehow over the past number of years, a puzzle was thought to be um, one of the ways that they described autism. So, um, so the, one of the reasons why we talk about that on on Just Love because obviously people with autism have a challenge, and 
our Catholic belief says, wait a minute, we don't care if a person has a challenge, disability, whatever, their life is worthwhile. They are made in God's image and likeness. So when, you know, there can be a tendency to put people with problems to the side because oh, they're too much trouble. They're, they're a bother. They're not going to be very productive. Well, our Catholic values say, eh, not so much. We have to recognize that they're made in God's image and likeness and that worthy of dignity and respect. So I'm delighted we are able to uh, kind of raise up autism as something that needs to be on our consciousness. And <clears throat> this is, April is um, Autism Awareness Month. Now, Tom, I know we're going forward. We have a next guest. And <clears throat> I know... We're right at the cusp of Earth Day, mm -hmm. right? Now, Tom, I know in your hierarchy of important days <laughs> of the year, um, does this come before or after Christmas uh, <laughs> uh, your priority of what an important day of the year is? Uh, it, actually, Monsieur, I would say Easter and Christmas and Good Friday take precedence over Earth Day. So, and and then I would say... <laughs> Thank, birthday. <laughs> thank God. I was, Actually, I was. Birthday comes in a little bit after even my own birthday. <laughs> all right. I, okay. I was keeping my fingers crossed that you were going to, weren't going to push Jesus out of the way. No, no, birthday. no. Absolutely. Jesus comes first once here. <laughs> Good. I think that's, uh, and I'm, okay, I'm glad that your own birthday is important because <laughs> self-love is also Absolutely. Very, That's what we very, say every week. <laughs> yeah, very, very important. So, um, okay, so tell our listeners, though, before we go to our guest, mm -hmm. um, how did Earth Day come about? Earth Day, I think, began, Monsignor, back in the, in the 60s, late 60s, early 70s. And I think it was, it was, a, it was an academic uh, that uh, I think wanted to just sort of stress, and this gets back to when ecology really became, I think, first in, in awareness of in the public mind. And it really wasn't climate then. It was more, I think, trash and garbage, cleaning up trash. And I think what they did was they just decided to, uh, they decided to declare this Earth Day. And, uh, and, and, and this was the day sort of that everyone would kind of come together and be aware of the importance of taking care of the environment and things of that nature. Um, and it was a pretty, it, it was pretty secular. I mean, when it first began, but of course, as time has gone on, a lot of religious communities have also taken up the mantle to sort of say, hey, this is God gave us this creation as stewards. So this is something that we have to be concerned about, too. So I think as Earth Day has progressed, I think it's gone sort of from sort of like, you know, a marginal concern to something, as you said before, Monsignor, that's in the central of people's minds today, the yeah. environment. All right. Hey, Tom. So thank you for rounding up our next guest. Our next guest is Dr. Erin Lothis, who is a senior manager of the Lodato C uh, animators program. She also um, is a has a doctorate in system systemic systematic theology. And um, she also um, has been teaching at St. Elizabeth's University. Um, so, Dr. Lothis, thanks for taking the time to be with us on Just Love. 
Monsignor Sullivan, it's such a pleasure. I'm delighted to be with you this beautiful day and this this Earth Day weekend. So thanks so much for having me on. So I got to do this for our listeners. Now, I know you guys can't see uh, our guest in Zoom, but Tom, I'm not nominating Dr. Lothis for the best background on a Zoom call that I've seen in months. So Dr. Lothis, great background of those wonderful uh, blooming flowers, a great background. Thank you. You know, daffodils are my favorite flowers, and that's what we have this time of year. They're so beautiful. So we, we do our taping of the show from Manhattan, and Tom, before you came on, was talking about how he likes this time of the year because he walks down Park Avenue and sees all the tulips in bloom. Mm-hmm. So uh, daffodils and tulips, I think this is going to be a good day. God is good. That's right. All the time. Um, <laughs> so uh, give our listeners a little bit of a sense of your background. Kind of give them a little sense of how you got today to where you are, how you got to be teaching at St. Elizabeth's University. Sure. Thank you so much, Monsignor Sullivan. Well, uh, as a lifelong Catholic, I've always been both fascinated by our intellectual tradition um, and our commitment to the poor, which I think is such an amazing gift of our church community to the world. Um, We have so many institutions that care for children, for the elderly, for the poor, for migrants, and it's it's a great witness, and it's something so many of your listeners are deeply involved in. And then for me spiritually, I've always really felt God's presence in nature. I'm a forest girl. I love the forests. That's where I hear God speaking to me. Where'd you grow up? Uh, Massachusetts. Okay. Beautiful oh, New England. But don't tell me you're a Boston Red Sox fan. Well, I got to tell you, my husband, who's a Yankee, uh, has kind of won me over. <laughs> you can stay. We'll keep you right. in the interview. All right. Thank okay. you. <laughs> um, um, but, you know, eventually, maybe when I after college, I started to realize that, you know, climate change was happening. And I started to realize that it was going to affect our beautiful creation where I experience God in nature. You know, if we cut down the forests, if we put pollution in the air and the water, uh, this, this beautiful creation is, is degraded. And secondly, the poor are so affected by climate change. There's drought. There are storms that dislocate people from their homes and the, the justice implications of that are just unbelievable. So I started to realize that climate change was really critical to our faith. And I began to study as a theologian what our faith teaches about it. And I learned that starting with Pope John Paul II, there have been beautiful teachings uh, about our obligation to care for creation. Um, so... Okay, I'm glad you glad you brought that up a little bit, but you know, uh, in our Catholic kind of in our Catholic social teaching, we often talk about, and Tom and I talk about this, and we kind of repeat it periodically. 
is that there are um, six principles of Catholic social teaching, but then all of a sudden, a, a few years ago, we got a seven and we got the environment. So kind of either why did we sneak it in or why did it take us too long to include so long to include it? What do you think was going on there? Well, I think that there's two answers to that. I think that we've had actually an ancient connection to creation and our faith. Uh, our scriptures begin with our duty to care for the garden. That's our number one vocation to care for the garden. And in our Catholic history, we can think of St. Francis of Assisi, who loved all the creatures and uh, praised God by thinking of the beauty of all these creatures. So in that sense, the spirituality of this is, is very old. I think the modern problem of climate change has challenged, challenged us to a new analysis of how our Christian obligations mean that to do the work we've always done of caring for the poor, we now have to be attentive to climate change. So uh, this is me personally speaking. One of the, um, to me, one of the important features of Laudato C, which to my mind, this is me speaking, a lot of people misread it. Um, they misread it as primarily through the lens of of the environment and stewarding God's creation. I think the right reading of that is beginning with reading it through the lens of the poor and then seeing, as you just so clearly articulated, is that as in so many areas, when something goes wrong in the world, it's the poor that suffer the most. When mass transportation go out, it's the poor who suffer because they can't take Ubers. And so when the environment goes south, it's the poor whose lands flood, etc. And I think, you know, that was a really, really, as you pointed out, a very, very critical point, which, again, in my judgment, a lot of the people who were, and I'm going to use a bad term, who were into tree hugging, <laughs> they concentrated on the tree hugging and they forgot that it was really about the poor. Right. I think what Pope Francis really emphasizes is that we're facing one crisis that is social and environmental. And as you say, Monsignor Sullivan, it's the poor who are impacted first and worst. Right. That's the vulnerable around the world who can't move when uh, when sea level rise or mudslides from deforestation sweep away their homes. Um, people who are affected by famine. It's also our young people, our children, grandchildren, and let's face it, anyone affected by polluted air and water. And that's all of us. Yeah. So tell us now a little bit about this animators program. Sure. The Laudato Si Animators Program is a spiritual and educational program 
hosted by the Laudato Si movement. And maybe I'll start with a question. It, for people who find it surprising that the Catholic Church is involved in caring for creation, this is the program for them. Okay. Because caring for creation is a very deep expression of our faith and our work for the poor and sustainable lives for families everywhere. So in our animators program, we gather for four weekly webinars and we talk about climate impacts, about Catholic social teaching, about spirituality, and about how to take action and respond in your parish or your diocese, your community or your family. And then we invite and support people to find the action that's right for their parish. This program actually starts started this week. Uh, Wednesday night, we had our first webinar, but people can still join, watch the recording and catch up with the next weeks of the program. Oh, that is that is great. I got I got to tell you when I look quickly at my notes for this before, I, I said in my mind, oh, so Laudato C has an avatar program. <laughs> I, I misread it in my in my own mind. But that sounds that sounds oh wonderful. How did the first week go? It's wonderful. You know, it's you can really see the global community of Catholics who care. In the English program, we have people from Australia, the Philippines, India, Africa, Europe, of course, the United States and Canada. So people around the world are taking this action. Yeah, I mean, so I oftentimes have a little bit of an attention span problem. So if I don't want to go through all of the weeks, can you give me a little hint about week four in which, so what could people do? And what are some of the things that our listeners should think about if they want to have a positive impact? On, on on the climate? I think one of the best things they can do is share our amazing new movie, The Letter, which maybe you've seen. Our organization uh, collaborated with um, Oscar-winning producers to create a film called The Letter starring Pope Francis. It's available on YouTube. And if you go to our website, we can help you get a version of it to show in your parish, go to your uh, school group, wherever. It's an amazing film showing young people, scientists, a climate refugee talking with Pope Francis. He actually gave us his time to be filmed for this movie It's on YouTube, and it's a way to share what's happening and to help people understand. So sharing the movie, I think, can lead people into uh, understanding the problem and then wanting to take action. And on our website, we can certainly support people to find more things to do. We're speaking with Dr. Erin Lothus, who is... Um, a professor at St. Elizabeth's University, and she is the senior manager of the Laudato Si Animators Program. So, you know, one of the things that uh, I glaze over a little bit 
is when you know they talk to me about emissions and 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 ozone layers and and all carbon footprints and all of those things. You know, and I think I probably am not alone in in our listeners out there. If you were to kind of be talking to people like me, who it takes a while to get it, how would you kind of at least on the factual side say? Listen, let me tell you a few things which you should know, which, you know, give us a clear indication that we got a problem here we have to address. What would you what would you say to somebody like me who needs it in bite-sized bits? Sure. Great question. I would say that what people need to understand is that we want to keep the global temperature increase below 1.5 degrees since the Industrial Revolution began. We're already at 1.1, and we can see the heat waves, the floods, the storms, and the sea level rise. If we get to 1.5, that's not going to be good. We want to avoid that. And so we have to keep the emissions low. We already have so much fossil fuels available that are going to burn and create emissions beyond that 1.5 limit. So we have to uh, switch to more sustainable ways of powering our society. The good news is that's possible. Study. Let me, me, just for clarification, when you say a 1.1% and a 1.5% rate rate in the temperature, is that cumulatively or every year or what is it what what's what's our what are we talking about time period great question that is the global average so the global average temperature has already increased 1.1 degrees from what the global average temperature was in 1750 before the steam engine was invented now again, let me let me play a little bit of de- devil's advocate. 1750 to 2000 is 250 years. It went up one degree. That doesn't strike me as a whole lot, because to me, to me, eh, 76, 77, yeah, I can live with that. Get us to understand, like, to me, it doesn't seem like a big deal. But I'm accepting the fact it is a big deal. But how do I how do I understand it's not the same as going from 76 to 77 degrees? Another great question. And I think it helps to remember the difference between weather and climate. The weather today might be 70 degrees and tomorrow 71 degrees. That's not such a big deal. Right. But climate. If the whole month of August is, say, two or three degrees hotter, that can have an impact on water drying up, on crops being successful, on changes in wind and storms that have impacts that are really complicated. So there's a difference between weather, you know, one degree day by day and climate, the big patterns. Okay. Now... You said something that we got all this fossil fuel, which is, you know, is going to 
is going to go through the ceiling, break the 1.5 stuff. But there are ways to deal with it. So how do we deal with it? Well, we have to do a couple things. Change our energy structures so that we're drawing on renewable energy. And the good news is a study came out this week that the best-in-class wind and solar cost a fraction of their fossil fuel competitors globally. Now, that's not solar panels on your roof. Those are expensive. I'm talking about the utility-scale solar and the big wind turbines. And yes, we need to do a lot of work updating the grid, dealing with connections and storage. There's work to be done. But these technologies exist, and in many places, they're cheaper. And then I'm going to cut you off only because we're out of time. But you're, All going, right. to come back. you're going to come back, right? You'll come back again. on our I show. will come back anytime. And I would like to invite everybody to join the animators program. Go to the laudatosianimators.org. I'd love to see you. And just thank you, Monsignor Sullivan, for lifting up what so many Catholic organizations, dioceses, our amazing uh, religious women are doing. The Catholic Climate Covenant, great work is happening, and uh, we can all join it. It's a great way to feel, I think, the joyfulness of our discipleship. So thank you. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Erin Lothus, who is the Laudato Sea Animators Program. Uh, Tom, we'll take a break. And we'll be back in a moment. Just love. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. The Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.
Now, let's get back to Just Love and your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan. Welcome back to Just Love. Just do it. Just love God. Just love your neighbor and just love yourself. Our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. Thank you for being with us this week on Just Love. We talked about the puzzle for autism to raise awareness about that important topic and the need for all of us to pay attention to our climate and the environment. So join us again next week on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. You're listening to the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. 